Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. We're going to get into this, and uh, I'll tell you, I've, <laughs> I was Bill. Bill was telling me 10 pages. Was it 10 pages of notes? Nine pages of notes. He said, normally I have three, and this morning I had nine. I'm telling you, there's so much information on this creation stuff, folks. It's beyond belief. And uh, we are literally scratching the surface, okay? And I know some of you are scientists, and and, uh, uh, many of you, like myself, are not. And so there's all kinds of different thoughts on this. Uh, I want to really focus in on a couple things. And, And one of them is that in the beginning, God created I think we can land there. We know that. (laughs) God made all things. He's all-powerful. Romans tells us that through nature, through creation, we can recognize that he is an all-powerful God. We see his his power exhibited through creation. Clearly, there's a design. Therefore, there must be a designer. You didn't walk in here today and wonder how these chairs got ordered, did you? You didn't go, whoa, it's a miracle. Call somebody. We take it for granted, don't we? Folks, I don't know how you look at the micro to the macro. I don't, lo- I don't know how you look at the cell and the complexity of the cell to the vastness of the universe. And say, whoa, it just happened. Call somebody, it's a miracle. <laughs> There's a first cause. And I believe that that's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He's created all things. He spoke it into existence by the word of his power. And as we're going to look at, he holds it all together by his power. That's amazing when you really begin to get down to it. So we're going to gloss over this and just kind of hopefully focus in on that all of creation speaks of his power and glory. All of it. It's amazing. And we're going to get into next week a little bit of the the uniqueness of, of who we are. Mankind, right? This week we're going to look at Genesis 1-1 and the different aspects of that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Phenomenal. Next week we're going to look at Genesis 1-27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. It's amazing when you think about humanity. You think about mankind being created. Us being created in the image of God. What does that mean? What what does that do for why we're here? All of those different things. But this morning, let's look at in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the midst of all of this, I think really there's two indisputable historical facts that we should all agree on. The first is that God created. Now there's no question in that sense. From a biblical standpoint, Genesis 1-1, if you cut that out, the rest of the Bible, you might as well cut it out as well. If you don't believe that God created, if you don't believe that he formed all this, you don't believe that he put all this together, you don't believe that he's sustaining it, holding it together, then our vision of God needs to be upped a little bit. God created. The second is that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. That is a historical fact. It is absolute, and we should all agree on that. The question is, do we? The other question in the midst of this is, how big is our God? How big is our God? Do we believe that God is able 
Do we believe that he's literally all-powerful? Do we really believe that? He healed immediately, didn't task his power to do so. There's so many different ways we could go on this. The question is, how big is our God? How big do we really believe God is? How powerful do we really believe that he is? What is too difficult for the Lord? What is too difficult for the Lord? What are we going through in our lives right now that somehow we think it's too difficult for God? We may not say it that way, but that's how we act. That's how we act. What's too difficult for the Lord? Now, let me preface it a little bit. There are certain things that I would break fellowship with people over. It doesn't mean that I I would uh, not be their friend or that I wouldn't continue to pray for them or that I wouldn't love them in the love of Christ or anything along those lines. But I, I would break fellowship in the sense that if there are certain doctrinal positions that they would hold or take, Uh, and believe in that I would say, you know what, friend, doctrine does divide, and we're going to break fellowship over this. If somebody comes to me and says, Jesus Christ didn't really rise again from the dead, well, that immediately puts us in a position of, wait a second, we don't agree on something that's foundational to the faith. Does that follow? I'm not saying you got to be mean about it, folks. But there are certain beliefs that we recognize are absolute. And you can't change it. You, you, if somebody doesn't believe it, it changes things. You can still take them to lunch and try to win them. Praise God. Do it. But if, if we're going to say, well, we're all good together, I'd say, no, no, we're, we're really not. We're not. I, I would suggest this. Creation is not one of those issues. If you believe in an old earth, God bless you. I happen to believe in a young earth, and we're going to talk through that. I love science, and I, I think it's fascinating. But, folks, we, we can be gracious about this, can't we? I'm amazed at how somehow, if somebody doesn't agree with us, we're immediately like, oh, well, we just have to walk away from them. I, I love uh, some of the guys that are coming for this creation seminar. They actually debated, and they're still friends. I think that's good. That's good. We can have different opinions on certain things. We can wrestle with things. We can struggle through certain things and still come out gracious and kind and loving and reflecting Christ and brothers and sisters in the Lord. Can we do that? Can't we do that? In Christ, can't we do that? Y'all are staring at me like calves at a new gate. This means yes. This means no. Let's go, folks. Wake up. I know Green Bay lost yesterday, but it's okay, really, you know. We're praying for the Packer fans here. Yeah. (laughs) Chad, I did that just for you, man. I really did. (laughs) That's right. Oh, Lord. So we don't break fellowship over this. I I think it's important for us to get that straightened out, okay? All of us are growing. We're all learning. No one has arrived. Our main focus as believers, and we saw this in the book of Acts, our main focus as believers is really twofold. First of all, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And secondly, it's salvation in Christ alone by grace alone through faith alone. That's our focus. And we always ought to keep that in mind. Okay? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 says this, and I I think this is so good because it really puts it into the context of everything. By faith, 
Catch that? By faith. Not by our understanding. Not by empirical evidence. Not by what we can prove. Not by anything other than trusting and accepting and receiving that God is an all-powerful God and alone is able to accomplish these things. By faith, we are persuaded. Fully, wholly, absolutely. We understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. The Lord's the only one that can speak something that doesn't exist into existence. Wow! Can you imagine the power of that? The spoken word of God. To say, let there be, and immediately it exists. Amazing to think about. Phenomenal, really. When you begin to understand and grasp some of the vastness of that. The Lord himself created the universe. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. And that word was, sorry to get technical, but he's not saying it used to be. He's saying has always been. Has always been. In other words, Jesus Christ is incarnate God. Walking around on this earth in the likeness of humanity. But guess what? Before Abraham existed, I am. Right? He's the eternal self-existent logos of God. He's the word of God. He is the sustainer, the all-powerful one. He's the creator. And in verse 3, he makes it very clear. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He spoke it into existence. And he sustains it by the power and the authority of innately who he is. Wow. What a God. I mean, can you imagine? It's incredible. I'm telling you, I can't wait. I hope they have the most comfortable recliners. I want a drink holder with an absolute, I like cherry uh, Coke Zero. Have you had that? Oh, it's a gift from God. I know it's terrible for you. I don't drink it all the time, but I love this stuff. I don't know why. And I hope it's inexhaustible supply of that, along with steak and everything else that I like over here. Chocolate, thank you. That's right. You're learning. And I hope we get to watch this whole thing. Full DVD surround sound. I want to see what the angels got to watch. God speaking things into existence. And just to go, wow, look at that. Incredible. <laughs> so I just want to read Genesis 1, verses 3 and following. And I, this is just phenomenal. Think of this. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. And then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below and the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning a second day. And God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. 
And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth. Bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning the third day. On day four, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of heavens to give light on earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights. The greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And to govern the night, day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind, And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky. Did you catch that? Let them rule. (laughs) And over the cattle and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Wow. Can you imagine? We look at the vastness of creation. We look at all the things that God has made. We look at how he's designed it. How it's intricately related to one another. And somehow in the midst of it, the more we find out about it, the bigger we get and the smaller God gets. How's that possible? The vastness of God, the greatness of God. And the privilege that we have to walk on this earth, to know him, to learn to follow him, to worship him. 
In Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, the Bible says this, For by him, meaning Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's amazing, isn't it? He created it. He's the first. He's the one who fashioned it. He's the one who made it. And he holds it all together. In Hebrews 1.3, the writer says this, He, speaking of Christ, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Revelation 4.11, when we get a glimpse at a heavenly scene, the elders are there representing, I believe, the churches. And in verse 11, we're told this, Worthy are you, this is what they're saying to to God, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Amazing. You know, it's interesting when we look at the New Testament and how the writers of the New Testament, we could go into many different arenas on this, how they verify the Genesis account. They verify it as scripture. We've looked at it over the last couple weeks, the Old Testament as part of the canon, the New Testament as part of the canon, the reality that God's word is inerrant, it's infallible, not one jot or tittle in the the, uh, Hebrew sense of it, will ever be lost. God's word is eternal. Paul affirmed the creation account himself. In Ephesians 5.31, he writes to the Ephesian believers, he says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's, he's quoting directly from the Genesis creation account. In 1 Corinthians 11.8.9, he again affirms the account in Genesis, he says, for man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. He's speaking directly to the order of creation as recorded in Genesis. First Timothy 2.13 is even more clear. He says, for it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. Paul establishes the Genesis account. Peter did as well. We look at the writings of Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Peter writes about the ancient world and the flood that took place. We're going to look at that in a few weeks. The flood, phenomenal. The devastating impact that this ha- the flood had worldwide in scope upon this earth. In 2 Peter 3, 5, Peter refers to the beginning of creation and that by the word of God, the heavens existed and the earth was formed. He verifies this. It's interesting to me that Jesus did as well uh, on the topic of divorce. They were coming to him and they were questioning him about divorce. And Matthew, you have it recorded. And Mark, you have it recorded. Jesus quotes directly from the Old Testament account. But in Mark chapter 10, verses 5 through 8, there's a statement that is recorded here. That if we're going to say that the word of God is infallible, it's inerrant. And we're going to say that it is perfect in its original autograph. And that it is able to be sustained. And it is forever. And it's eternal. And it's from God. 
I don't know how we cut this one out. Because in Mark chapter 10, verses 5 through 8, in the context of the discussion concerning divorce, verse 6, it says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. You catch that? From the beginning of creation. From the moment the creation was spoken into existence, Adam and Eve existed, and he is the one, God is the one, who made them male and female. And then he goes on to verify the account as Paul did as well. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. The Lord himself quoted from the Genesis account, and he makes the statement from the beginning of creation, from the very first cause, the first moment of creation, God made them male and female. If we believe that the word of God is inerrant, and we believe that it is infallible, it is without error, it is without mistake, in its original autographs, we have wonderful copies that have been verified more so than any other ancient document in the existence of human history. If we believe that the word of God is inerrant and infallible, we must deal with the word of God on the basis of what it states. And everything else is placed in subjection to the word of God. Everything. Science, history, all the disciplines. Because the word of God is the word of God. We can't say in effect that the Bible is God's word only when it comes to religious issues or moral ones and turn around and say that science or history as disciplines trump the biblical account. The word of God is not necessarily what we would say uh, a scientific book or it's not necessarily covering all of human history. You can put all kinds of different disciplines in there. But when it comes to the touching points on science, it is accurate. It is truth. To say anything less is to pick and choose which parts of the word we want to say are actually God's word versus which parts are to be subjected and or viewed in light of our knowledge and expertise. To cherry pick what parts of the Bible we want to believe and submit to is to decimate the integrity systemically of the word of God. Francis Schaeffer puts it this way. And he says this, there's a tendency for some who are Christians and scientists to always place special revelation, the teaching of the Bible, under the control of general revelation and science, and never or rarely to place general revelation and what science teaches under the control of the Bible's teaching, of biblical teaching. That is, though they think of that which the Bible teaches as true and that which science teaches as true, in reality they tend to end with the truth of science as more true than the truth of the Bible. Don't we do that in our lives? We use our experiences, we use what we think, what we can figure out, what we can measure, what we can control, what we can uh, feel, touch, taste, what we think, what we somehow build consensus about as being the standard. And folks, if there's anything that you hear out of this today, please understand. This is a very complex issue. But let's be clear about something. The word of God is the word of God. And everything else is to submit to the word of God. Us, our experiences, 
Because the word of God is the final authority on everything. Amen? (laughs) So how did God create? Did God use evolution, theistic evolution? We're talking about day-age theories. Each day is a particular age particular period of time? Are we talking about day gap theories? Between each day, there's a period of time. Clearly, there's been a lot of debate on the translation and or meaning of the word day in Genesis. Believe me, there's a lot on that. Hebrew scholars all across the world have debated this. It was interesting, as I was studying about this, I came across an article written by a professor at Bryan College, which my daughter goes to. And I was yes! (laughs) She's on her way right now, actually. She's on a flight. I woke up at 4 o'clock this morning, folks, so you got no excuse. Uh, You know, amen. (laughs) He wrote this article about this particular subject, the day. What What does day mean? And he summarized it this way. And I'll summarize it for you, okay? Because he went into all the technicalities of it, all the details of it, all the different individuals uh, who are famous and known for their scholarship when it comes to the Hebrew language. He said, I could go on listing dozens and dozens of names, but there's no need. The scholarship is clear. The writer of Genesis chapters 1 and 2 meant the text to teach chronology in terms of normal days. 24-hour periods of time, numerically gone through. Day one, where created, let there be light, all the way to day seven, where he saw that everything he, had been, everything he created was not only good, it was very good, and he rested from his work. The scholarship is clear. It's an interesting thing on another particular issue, if we're going to say that natural selection, Darwinianism, evolution, or any subset spiraling off idea that comes from that in all its various forms, if that is true, then there's an interesting problem that is created. Because if we believe that the Word of God is the Word of God, then we've got to look at what the New Testament has to say concerning creation, and we've got to understand that the New Testament serves as a wonderful commentary and support of the Old Testament canon as being from God and God's Word. If it's true, as Romans 5.12 declares it to be, right? Through one man, sin entered into the world, and what happened? Death through sin. And therefore, what happened? Death spread to all men. Through Adam, who sinned, death entered into the world. Correct? That's what Romans 5.12 teaches us. That's doctrinal. That is absolute. That is true. It's God's word. It's infallible. It's inerrant. We don't have the right to change it. As a result of that sin, death entered into the world. What was the cause for death to enter into the world? It was Adam's sin. Okay? If that's true, which I believe it absolutely to be so, and we're going to summarize the age of the earth by the geological records, 
Guess what's in those geological records? Fossils. Fossils. A fossil is something preserved, something that at one time had been alive, but now it's dead. Correct? All right, good. Let me quote it this way. To summarize, the age of the earth was derived from the rock layers which have fossils in them, which puts death, suffering, and disease before the fall. Before the fall. You catch that? The Bible's clear that there was no death before Adam. If theistic evolution, or you can put it into all kinds of different ways, if that's true, then death had to enter in prior to Adam sinning. And the biblical account on that one is very clear. Very clear. Sin is what allowed death to enter into this world, and Adam sinned, and then death entered into this world. So if we're going to introduce death prior to that, we got a serious doctrinal issue. I believe the literal, grammatical, historical, and contextual view of the word leads us to view that God created and did so through his power with his spoken word in six 24-hour periods of time, with the seventh day being a day of rest. Folks, I don't understand it. I don't understand that kind of power. I don't understand how he did it all. There are so many questions involved in all of this. I love exploring it and finding it out. But I believe biblically, if we start with that and we start with the story that God has recorded for us and we say that this story is an accurate record from God himself to us, I don't see any way around that. That may be anti-cultural. That may sound dumb. I don't know. All I know is I believe God. (laughs) And I believe the biblical record. (laughs) It's interesting in Exodus chapter 31, verse 17, speaking of the Sabbath day, the day of rest, that it's recorded this. It is a sign between me, meaning God, and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. Years after the Genesis account, after the moment where he spoke all things into existence, there was, and there's all kinds of examples of this, there was a solidification of looking back that these days were actual, literal, 24-hour periods of time chronological in order. Fascinating. In Job chapter 38, where the Lord responds to Job, and I won't get into all the details of it, but verses 4 through 7, the Lord says this, Where were you, speaking to Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who sets its measurements, since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the angels. Oh man, this is so cool. People ask, well, when did evil come into this thing? I believe it was after day seven. Because when after day seven, uh, we begin to see the temptation. We begin to see the fall. We begin to see those different things. When did Satan get cast out of heaven? Well, all I know is that when God pronounced his creation good and not just very uh, good, but very good, 
I don't think at that point sin had even polluted anything that God had created. And so after day seven is, I believe, when that began to take place. It's obvious what the Lord, what God told Adam and Eve to do. He said, rule over all of this earth that I've created for you and multiply. Well, it would be very problematic if one of the children were conceived prior to all of this. I don't know. We can get into all kinds of timelines and time frames. But here at this particular point, as God is talking to Job, he's declaring to them that the sons of God, the the literal, the angels, the morning stars, were singing and shouting for joy as they watched God create. John MacArthur commenting about this passage, says this, So the angels were there to witness the formation of our world. And since there is no procreation among angels, Matthew 22, 30 makes that clear, they must have all been created at once. And I love this. In a sweeping creative act, God instantly commanded and untold numbers of creatures came into existence, each one independently unique. Phenomenal phenomenal. When God speaks, things happen. (laughs) We don't have to wait around for it. It takes place. You know, I don't know if you've ever, I was going to start out with this, but let me go back a little bit. I don't know if you've got this on the, you can go back to the first two slides, Einstein and Darwin. Einstein said this. Have you ever heard this? I had never heard this. Einstein worded it beautifully when he said the world is like a well-constructed crossword puzzle. You can suggest any number of words, but only one will fit all the facts. And so Sartre says, there's something there. And Einstein adds, yes, look at the marvel of its form. Wow. Or how about Charles Darwin himself? In his autobiography and in his letters, he states this. It's amazing that this old man, toward the very end of his life, said, I cannot believe with my mind that all this was produced by chance. Darwin said that. Amazing. Folks, God has created. He has made all things. He has spoken into into existence. The science of it is phenomenal. Phenomenal. We can get into all kinds of discussions about it. And I think it's fascinating. The honest truth is, when I was a freshman at Liberty University uh, years ago, dating myself, but we were told we had to take this class. And I thought, oh, you're kidding me. You know, freshman classes. And I got into this class, and they started talking about Pangea, and they started talking about the catastrophe that the flood was. They started to talk about the canopy, and they started to talk about double atmospheric pressure, and they began to talk about the dinosaurs, and they began to talk about all these things, and scientifically uh, factual things. Phenomenal. still remember going back. I just sat there in awe that God spoke it into existence. With age in view, Adam was that little child who had to somehow grow and learn and figure out how to speak. He was fully functional. God formed him, put him together. Eve the same way. Totally able. Totally competent. Very good. 
It's amazing. Why are we surprised at the power of God? Why are we surprised by that? The Lord healed with instantaneous results. He turned the water into wine. No trouble. Doesn't task his power. He's totally efficient. And he's absolute power. (laughs) He doesn't have to do anything to show his power. He doesn't have to do anything to get power. And when he uses his power, it never diminishes the power that he has. Because he's an all-powerful God. Self-existent one. We begin to look at the vastness of space. Maybe we, we start to go, oh, is it really true that he holds all the stars in his hands or that he named every one of them? Or we begin to look at cells and the molecular co- configuration of them. And at one point, we thought the smallest things were neutrons or protons or electrons. And now we begin to understand that there's an entire universe within each of those. And we don't even know how it holds together. We know how it holds together. Because the Lord holds it together. We're created in his image in the midst of a unique and amazing creation. And we have the opportunity of walking with the creator. How exciting. To wake up every day and know that God's mercies are new every morning. To know that he has planned out the day, that he's absolutely sovereign over it, that he's working for our good no matter what. And that we can trust him because he's absolutely trustworthy and he's faithful in everything that he does. Wow. Yes, somehow I think we tend to wake up. Anybody do this? Kind of like Eeyore. It's probably going to rain. It's going good, so just wait for it. Right? Instead of, oh, Lord, you're sovereign. You're over it all. Whatever you have for today is going to be great. And I just want to know you and to learn to follow you. Because I know that you're preparing me for eternity. Where I get to experience all of this. There's a wonderful verse in Numbers chapter 11, verses 22 and 23, where the children of Israel are wanting meat. (laughs) And Moses is even doubting the Lord because the Lord's going to provide meat. And Moses' response and his questions are hilarious. Should flocks and herds be slaughtered for them, meaning all the children of Israel... To be sufficient for them? Or should all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to be sufficient for them? In other words, he's saying, what? Where are you going to get all this meat, God? You've got to be kidding me. You're going to take all the fish of the sea. You're going to take all uh, the different things, the herds. And the Lord's response to him is something that I think we can cling to. The Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. Is the Lord's power limited? Folks, let me ask you today. Is the Lord's power limited? 
How do we limit God? How do we doubt God? How are we constantly in a state of confusion and worry and upsetness trying to fix things? Trying to make it better, whatever. And you can put any kind of uh, angle on that that you want. Do we trust that the Lord is an all-sufficient, all-powerful God who is absolutely competent in everything that he does? And what in our lives is too big for God? What in our lives is too much for God that he's not able to work in the midst of that we would have the opportunity of experiencing the victory that he alone is able to accomplish? Is there anything too great for God? Is there anything that would limit his power? Are you trusting him? What's too difficult for God? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.